So tonight we are going to finish our series. If you've been with us during the Advent season, we've been in a series of songs, songs that Luke records in his gospel of preparation for Jesus and his ministry, and then of course his death and resurrection. And so today we finish up with the last of those songs. We're in Luke chapter 2. The section that we're looking at is Luke 2, verses 22 through 38. I'm just going to read the song part of that now before Albert comes up. So we're going to look at verse 29 and read through verse 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Good evening. So happy to see an accordion up here. Did anyone go to the coffee house? A lot of you didn't. And I play the accordion, if, I, if you guys didn't know that, and you missed that. You'll have to wait till next year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grand plan to send your son as we celebrate his birth these next couple of days. We want to be clear in our understanding of this grand plan that you had all along. In Jesus' name, amen. Who's familiar with the Christmas story? And if you're really not, please don't be shy. You know, it's okay. So most of you aren't familiar with the Christmas story. So let's talk about that. I think most of us are pretty familiar with the Christmas story. And for some of us, this is a story that we've been familiar with for a really, really long time. And I'm pretty convinced that if we broke ourselves into small groups, I'm really confident that every single small group within this church would be able to tell the Christmas story. And if we had little flashcards to put a chronology together, you would all get it right. I'm really confident in that. But I think in our familiarity, there is something lost in terms of substance, lost in how Christians engage our heart, spirit, our soul, our mind with this time of year, that we're stuck in these past experiences of Christmas rather than looking forward to these fresh discoveries of what Christmas has for us. And this is a danger that I'm personally faced with every Christmas because preaching a Christmas message is actually very challenging for me because every Christmas I have to come up with another message. And so after you've preached a few Christmases, it's a challenge to come up with a new, fresh Christmas message. And so this term of familiarity breeds contempt, I think is true. So this evening, we will look at the Christmas story through the eyes of Simeon. Now here's some context to this story. Mary and Joseph, they were observers and practitioners of the Jewish law. According to Leviticus 12, you would bring your baby boy at the end of eight days to be circumcised. You'd go through the purification rites so that you can go back into synagogue and temple and worship with everyone. And you would offer a sacrifice. And this is what any practicing Jewish family would do. So picking up this story in verse 21 in Luke chapter 2. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So nothing out of the ordinary here except verse 24 gives us some insight into Jesus' family. If you look at Leviticus 12, that very last verse, verse 8, it says that a family could offer two pigeons if they couldn't afford a lamb. So if this is what any common Jew would do with their baby boy, we know that they weren't in a place where they could afford to do the lamb. They had to go the pigeon route. So we know that he is probably from a poorer side of that socioeconomic spectrum. Now, what's the big deal that Jesus did this if every Jewish baby boy would go through these processes? Why the big deal here? Now let us turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And the Apostle Paul wrote this, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what we have here is an identification of Jesus with those he came to save. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 tells us, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus came like many others, but the reason was to identify with those he came to save. Jesus was sinless. He is God. Now, why would he need to be circumcised? Why did he have to go through purification rites? Why did he have to offer a sacrifice if he was indeed sinless? Well, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. And even though he was sinless, it was to identify with sinners because we are all sinful. And Jesus brought this salvation to us from this sin. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We are saved by Jesus, no one else. This is a significant event in world history. This is a significant event for Christians. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Without the birth of Jesus, there is no salvation. And so this was John the Baptist, his cousin's role in being the forerunner to Jesus. We've looked at this before, Luke chapter 1, verses 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This is talking about John the Baptist. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now back to Simeon's song, picking up in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now who is Simeon? We don't know much about Simeon, actually. Simeon only shows up in the Bible one time, and here it is. Right, this is it. And this waiting seems to be a huge part of his life. And Simeon, it's a really common name. It's kind of like being named Nate or Nathan here. Like, uh, I don't know how many. I, it's just so many. 
I think 50% of our church, no, something like that. But everything that we know about Simeon is right here. There are no other cross-references or historically accurate records of this man. And he's just your typical average guy. God loves using ordinary, common, average people. We take a look at God's history. Take a look at just this Christmas story, right? Shepherds, a teenage girl, right? Mary, an elderly couple. Elizabeth and Zechariah, just average guys like John the Baptist, Simeon, just ordinary people used for extraordinary things. And some of us may question our significance in that, you know, I don't have a great career or job or I'm too young or I'm single or I'm too old or I'm married, I'm average. That's great news because you just look at who God has used and it's average people and it's just everyday people. Simeon's not a leader in the temple or the synagogue. He's not mentioned as a leader or clergy in there, and he didn't have this title. And yet these are the precise people that God uses to do amazing things, and we are blessed to be a church full of Simeons. We have a lot of Simeons in our church. We have a lot of righteous and devout people, and we read that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning that he was waiting for the Messiah. And similarly here, we are waiting for the return of Jesus. And something interesting is that we won't recognize him because we're smart or because, you know, we are capable people. We'll recognize him by the Holy Spirit. It was Simeon's righteousness and his devotion that helped him to recognize Messiah. And if not for his devotion, he wouldn't have known the Old Testament well enough to know those prophecies about Messiah. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. There is a personal salvation for Simeon, and there's a shared salvation among the global community. If you can imagine with me a sailor who's commissioned by his captain to stay up to look for a particular star in the night sky. And that sailor was not allowed to go to sleep until he saw that star and then he notified the captain because that star would be key to navigating them out of being lost at sea. And so seeing that star meant he would be saved as well, as well as all of his shipmates. And so this is a similar picture to that we find right here and also in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 where it reads, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And after the sailor has done his job, then he can go to sleep. And so that's the picture of Simeon seeing Jesus. I've seen that star. I know we're saved. We're done. And I can depart in peace. Now, the term Lord there in verse 29 is really interesting. It's not the common word Lord that we see throughout the Bible that's mentioned thousands of times. I believe it's either three or 4,000 times. That term for Lord is only mentioned five times in the New Testament. It's only five. And that word for Lord there is defined as an absolute ruler. And so Simeon with baby Jesus in his arms, he recognized God as the absolute ruler. God as the absolute ruler who numbers our days and Simeon recognized that he was fortunate enough to see God's promises of Messiah come to fruition. Now, how did Simeon even get the opportunity to hold the Messiah in his arms? Think about this. 
it's also tied to a community aspect in that he was obedient just as Mary and Joseph were obedient. Because Mary and Joseph followed the law. They did what God instructed them to do and found out what God would do, which is a good way to live. Sometimes we sit around waiting for God to do something when God has already instructed us on what to do. And we see from Mary and Joseph that they did as God instructed them, and then they experienced what God would do, and their obedience led them to this God-ordained moment with Simeon. Verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A couple interesting phrases here. One of them is that you have prepared. See, this was all God. This is God's grand plan of redemption. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, this is written. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And at just the right time, he was born. At just the right time, he died to redeem us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who's us? You look at the end of verse 31. It says, all peoples. God's heart is for all people. And this is exactly what the angel said in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus is a light for revelation to all people, Gentile and Jew. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now here what we have in verses 29 through 32 are what made Joseph and Mary marvel at what Simeon said. And then the following verses must have continued this marveling that they were experiencing. Parents and prospective parents, you know, we all wonder how our kids are going to turn out. Well, Simeon told Mary how Jesus was going to turn out. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You know, in order to rise with Jesus, there needs to be a fall. A fall in terms of humility and trusting in Jesus rather than trusting in ourselves. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to one who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted." We cannot rise with Jesus without falling at his feet in humility. We know from the Bible that many rejected Jesus during his ministry. Many today reject Jesus, and 
His desire is to raise us up, to raise us out of this bondage, this bondage of sin. Continuing on in verse 34, it says, And for a sign that is opposed, see, Jesus represented the one who sent him, God. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus mentions being sent by his heavenly Father over 30 times in that Gospel. That Jesus is the sign that is opposed because Jesus is who was sent to show people their sin, to show people their need for a Savior. Verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, seeing our sin for what it truly is can't be revealed without Jesus. And Mary was informed that a sword would pierce through her own soul, that she would experience her son beaten, tortured, murdered before her very eyes for our sins. And even as he died on the cross, he made sure to tell John to take care of his mom. So we look at why Jesus was born. He was born to die for our sins. To gift us salvation. Now here's an interesting thought. And I'll end with this thought. See, many of us, all of us, are familiar with Christmas being a time of receiving and giving gifts. This is something that we all do as tradition, part of this season. And one of the things that we teach our children is that no matter what is given to you by someone, a friend, a relative, that you are to be grateful for that gift. You don't kind of say like, ew, what's this? I wouldn't ever wear that, or I'm too old to play with that toy, or we've had to do some corrections, right? Like, we don't do that. We say thank you, and we receive that gift. So here's something that I find interesting. I find it really odd that many don't show the same or similar courtesy toward God when he gives us a gift, this gift of salvation. That we don't simply say thank you, but we're just like, ew, I don't need that. That's just not the right color of salvation for me. Like, I'm cool, I wear cool colors, like, you know. See, some aren't grateful, some aren't thankful for a gift. It's a gift. And we teach our children that gifts aren't about what they want. Don't we teach that? It's not about what you want. Yet, this is where many are in their treatment toward God. I don't want that. And so, acting like spoiled children who feel entitled to get what they want. And this is what the people in Jesus' day expected. They expected a Messiah to overturn the Roman rule and to place them on top of the throne so that they can rule their lives. They expected to be delivered from their oppression, to be delivered from their suffering. And that did happen, and a lot of it had to do with the influence of Jesus on the Roman Empire, but many missed out on the actual gift, Jesus' gift. Many rejected that gift. Sometimes people are so caught up with what they want and their perceived needs that we lose sight of how omnipotent God really is and what is wanted from God by us is so much smaller than what he has actually planned for all of eternity. Just want to end with a couple of questions. Is it possible that we don't know what is best? Is it possible 
that God knows what is better. And so we are given this gift. So how is our response to be? Like that of a spoiled, entitled child or of one of thankfulness and gratefulness that we are given this magnificent gift. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and throughout this entire month being able to see the songs that Luke had wrote, that your spirit had filled him to write. And so as we continue to remember and pause during this season as to your grand plan of redemption and deliverance for us, I do want to lift up, Lord, those who do not yet have or who have not received this gift from you yet. And you are not rude. You're not going to shove it into their face and make them accept it. But God, as you just lay it in front of them, I pray that as a gift receiver, that we would open our hearts to that with a heart of thankfulness and gratefulness. In Jesus' name, amen.